Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of Searching for Integrity, also Embracing the Biss with John Smith and also the Neil Haley Show. John, what's going on? Again, you've been really hammering out interviews and Searching for Integrity. It's a national syndicated show. Uh, you uh, really break down a lot of interesting things from these guests, right? They tell amazing stories, don't they? They do. They do. And I try to... Uh dig into it so that I can find out more about it and leave them with a, an appreciation that uh, they haven't wasted their time. Exactly. And they look at their integrity and throughout that interview, through those questions and all that stuff. And that's available uh, everywhere. And also our segment where we've been doing is putting up, we put it up on YouTube and uh, also Vimeo now too. So we're finding uh -huh. a lot of different pro um, platforms to talk, continue to talk about embracing the abyss. So what chapter are we on now? Chapter 17, One for the Gipper. Okay. You remember the uh, yes. Ronald Reagan, Notre Dame? Yeah. He was the Gipper. Yes. When one time in an old movie? Yes. Yes. His name was Gip. That's Newt Rockney, right? The Gipper? Yeah, Newt Rockney, right. Yeah. So this, this Gipper is a different Gipper. His name is Gip. Okay. I'm ready when you are. I am ready. Okay. It was the summer of 1988 when senior FBI agent Dale Hogue called and asked me to meet with him and FBI agent Kurt Hodges. Driving to the FBI office located in the West End of Dallas, I began to wonder why he had asked me if I knew a guy named Gip. Arriving in the waiting area, I checked in with the person behind the glass window and sat down. I tried to focus on what the discussion might be about the Gipper. Kurt came into the waiting room and asked how I was doing. I said, let's go this way. He said, let's go this way. Of the many times I have been in this FBI building, not once had I been taken to a meeting location by the same route. It was always different through the maze of doors, hallways, and elevators. We entered a room where Dale was sitting and waiting on us, and we sat down around a small conference table. Dale began by saying, we've been offered Gipps testimony in Woody's upcoming trial, and we've been told the Gipp knows you. What can you tell us about Gip? Do you know him? Yes, I replied. I know Gip from high school in Oklahoma City. He was a senior when I was a freshman. We were on the wrestling team. Dale opened by saying, we want your opinion of Gip. We need to know if we can trust him. I paused a bit. Is he a good guy or a bad guy, you mean? I asked, knowing there wouldn't be an answer to my question. Even though I had worked closely with them both for over a year, my innocent inquiry only brought blank stares. Sensing the seriousness of the matter, my mind raced with thoughts of the past. I swallowed big and took a deep breath. Let me tell you a story. I think you'll be able to decide for yourselves. I literally began with, once upon a time, which brought a slight smile from each of them, although they tried to hide it. 
Finally, feeling a little more at ease about the matter at hand, I continued. Gip was the big man on campus at Northwest Classen High School. During the 62-63 school year, I remember a large crowd gathering in the parking lot alongside May Avenue across from Phipps Appliances and Sugar Shack. As I worked my way up close to the source of the oohs and the ahs, I was surprised to see a brand new Chevy Impala. Wow, what a car. Before I could say, whose is it? The name Gip came rippling through the crowd, but the Gipper was nowhere to be found. I didn't know much about Gip then, except for his huge BMOC reputation. And that means the big man on campus. And that he was named an all-state quarterback. As a freshman wrestler, I worked with the others, including most of the upperclassmen in the wrestling room at the end of a long hall next to the gym. Gip would qualify for the final rounds at the state wrestling championship that year. Watching the icon practice with Coach Marcotte, who was the only person who could handle him, was a treat. As the season progressed, we freshmen began to hear rumors about the hazing which was coming from the older guys. Then we learned that they had already stuck the day before by ambushing and trapping a couple of freshmen, including Ralph, who was a heavyweight, who was a big guy, stripping him, spraying analgenic bomb and applying powder to his crotch. Ralph's privates were stinging for at least a week. He's still pissed. Oh my goodness. Of course, there, were a, there was a dire warning. The more I thought about it, the more I was determined not to let it happen to me. The few of us who had not been hazed were constantly on guard and frankly, quite scared about it all. Soon the day came when at the end of practice, we were heading down the stairs to the wrestler's locker room located below the wrestling room. Suddenly from behind, we heard, come on, we've got them now. My fellow freshmen and I immediately realized that we were hopelessly trapped with no other way out. We ran down to the few remaining stairs and sought refuge in the cage, which sat in the middle of the room, closing the gate behind us. The cage was a floor to ceiling metal structure made out of chain link fencing. What was, what was used for odd stuff like hanging sweaty wrestling gear. We barricaded ourselves against the gate, found some metal coat hangers and wrapped them around the gate handle and side structure to secure the cage. Three of us were trapped inside the cage, scared shitless, excuse me. And as the gang of upperclassmen grew, we knew a battle was brewing. A few of the upper-class vigilantes found some metal piping and began to beat against the gate where the coat hangers were wrapped. They were mad. I mean, really mad. They were not cooperating in receiving our freshman initiation. They're yelling, threatening us with everything they could think of was so loud and angry. And it alerted the situation to those who were upstairs in the wrestling room where Coach Marcotte would often keep Gip after practice for more work. Nor way out of control, the uppers had crazed, wild-eyed looks. When the fanatics were about to explode with anger, becoming physical and dangerous, Gip appeared. When they saw him, they, they yelled, help us get these bastards out of the cage. In a calm voice, Gip asked, why? One of the juniors yelled back, because we're gonna haze them. 
But now that they've made it worse, we're going to beat the crap out of them. Stepping towards them with authority, Gip continued in a calm voice. Back away. There's not going to be any more hazing. No more. It's a time we put an end to this. It's a bad tradition. The fanatics wanted to argue with him, but they sounded like limping, wimpy whiners. The respect for him allowed Gip to prevail and poof, we were saved. We waited a good 20 minutes after all had cleared the room and gone home before we felt safe enough to come out of the cage. My story finished, I looked at Dale and Kurt and said, so if you're asking me if I would trust Gip, my answer is completely, and I believe you can too. Having a smoking gun now, the government made Gip a key witness. Funny how things that go around come around. Karma, they call it. 25 years after the rescue from the cage at the cage, from the rage at the cage, I was given an opportunity to repay a karmic debt, a favor to help the Gipper as he had helped me. End of chapter. It's amazing how you had certain people that crossed your path 25 years before and then came back. As exactly. you talked about, people that were good people and were bad people. Just three or four. And then is that, yeah. that's really six degrees of separation in so many ways, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, he, it was an amazing guy. Uh, he's, um, uh, it, 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 I went to a golf tournament uh, in Oklahoma City uh, about, gosh, six or seven years ago. And in the clubhouse, after everybody finished their game, um, there was Gip sitting there, and, and everybody was sitting around Gip. And it was almost like when they would come up to him, they would kneel, and, and it was kind of like the Godfather. You know, the way they would come around and they would, and that's what Gip was doing. And these people were lining up to talk to Gip. So when he was done, I got up, walked over there and said, you remember me? He right. said, I said, yeah, Johnny. I said, well, I helped you out. And he said, yeah, I know. He said, if you ever need anything, you let me know. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, so it's just amazing. And the story and how you can help each other out. And it's good about doing the good thing versus the bad thing. When you do the bad thing, right. at some point, it's going to come back to you. That's right. And you really have to look at what's best for your self-interest, but also best for parties in a way that is bringing peace. And well, this was just one of the ways that I believe the uh, FBI agents accepted me. And eventually they looked upon me as one of them in terms of friendship. You don't, you don't work with people every day over a period of 14, 16 years without, you know, you can't avoid that. And they were good friends. All right. Turned out. All right. Well, perfect. John, again, you can check out his book at embracingthebiss.com. It's available on Amazon and listen to Searching for Integrity every week uh, on nationally syndicated radio programs throughout the country. And also you could check it out at soundcloud.com slash uh, the um, total, total media network. So you can check it out there. There's many different places. So I appreciate it, John, you coming by and always enjoy the conversation. Thanks, Neil. All My right. Pleasure. All right, guys, take care. That was the special segment. Take care.